Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday from 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, Acts of the Apostles that come after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospel of Mark. Now, 2 Samuel is what we call in the Old Testament a history book. It is a way that God speaks to people through actual events. So the stories themselves, which are listed in this post, the stories themselves are fascinating. And of course, I'm not reading the whole thing to you because it would take way too long. But the history that's present for Israel at that time is significant. And how God treated the people and dealt with the leaders, and dealt with the people, and dealt with the surrounding nations is important. And then, if you can make some application to God working in and through history, that is a wonderful thing. But it's everyday living with a group of people many, 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 several thousand years ago, and seeing how God acted, and then trying to apply it to the present. It sounds like it couldn't be done, right? So in 2 Samuel, we are in chapter 6, and in the first half of chapter 6, which we looked at last time, we have the ark brought to Jerusalem. We have the ark brought to Jerusalem, which is significant. Remember, David was successful in going through the water shaft and destroying the Jebusites and taking over Jerusalem. That was a very, very, very important uh, historical uh, occurrence. And now the Ark of the Covenant is going to be reside in Jerusalem. And then eventually, David's son is going to build a temple. And that temple is going to be an extraordinarily important piece of Old Testament uh, faith and practice. In the book of Acts, we're going to continue our journey with Paul and Peter and others regarding their missionary journey. Remember at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus talked about going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And of course, then we follow Jesus himself in the book of Mark. So look at your scriptures this week. Take them one day at a time. I try to read every day the daily lectionary, scriptural reading in all three books, the Old Testament, the New Testament, okay, and occasionally a psalm that goes with it. And if I miss a couple of days, I'll just have to catch up. So try to keep up on a daily basis. And if you can't, you might have a little bit more reading to do that time. All right, 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 23. Now King David was told in verse 12, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So when the presence of God is with you, when God is with you, when the ark of God is present, And of course, eventually, as I said, they're going to build God a temple and the people are going to worship there. God is going to be with you. This is another great reason for coming to church. God is present. He is there. He is going to bless you in those kinds of places. Where God is present, people are blessed. Where he is absent, it does not go as well. Now, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was a very emotional person. David was a great warrior. He was a very intelligent person. But he had a great love for God, and he showed it. 
as the ark of the Lord, verse 16, was entering the city of David, now it's called the city of David, Jerusalem, Michael, daughter of Saul, remember Saul, the first king, watched from a window, and when she saw David, King David, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord, set it in place inside the tent that David pitched for it. There's no temple. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he finished sacrificing them, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Verse 19, then he gave a loaf of bread, a, day, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So he went home, and Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she wasn't very kind. And Michael, daughter of Saul, was cursed by the Lord, and she had no children in the day of her death. No children the day of her death, verse 23. Okay? David said in verse 21, I am going to celebrate before the Lord. I, because she thought it was very undignified the way he acted. But he said, I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. I am going to hold the Lord in honor. I am going to lift up his name. So Michael, daughter of Saul, who despised that and thought that what he was doing was wrong, uh, she had no children the day of her death, which was a tragic thing. Now, chapter 7 of the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, is a very, very, very important chapter in the entire Bible because it is God's promise to David, which is going to extend to the Messiah, which is going to extend to Jesus because Jesus turns out to be the Messiah. And this promise, 2 Samuel 7, is very significant. Now, I don't have time to read the whole thing to you. Otherwise, we could take up the whole 25 minutes with this. But the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and verses 5 through 16 recount what God has said. Let's see if I can say a couple of verses for you. Second half of verse 9. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. How about verse 11, second half? The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Verse 12, when your days are over and you rest from your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. My love will never be taken from him. Verse 15, as I took it away from Saul. Remember that? We discussed that for several weeks. Whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Here's the great line. Your throne will be established forever. He's talking about the Messiah, who is ultimately his son, Jesus Christ. David has a prayer before the Lord. He sits before the Lord. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Verse 18. Why do I deserve this? You could have picked anybody. And the answer is, yes, he could have. Remember 1 Samuel 16? When Samuel, who was alive at the time, received a word from the Lord to go to Jesse's house and the new king would be chosen there. Remember the seven sons that went before him? And he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Because I'm not getting anything out of these seven guys. Yes, there's someone in the field the youngest, David. 
And of course, David, uh, he said, remain standing. David is, became the great leader of Israel. How great you are, O sovereign Lord, verse 22 of chapter 7. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. See, David had a fantastic relationship with God. Saul did not. Saul offended the Lord, and the Lord abandoned him and left him to himself. And Saul eventually, as you remember at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, fell on his sword, literally. And he has some wonderful things of God. Verse 28, O sovereign Lord, you are God, your words are trustworthy, and you have given this good promise to your servant. Now, verse 29, be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So we have a word from God. Well, first of all, we have a we have the ascendancy of David to the throne. Then we have, because of his great warrior qualities and leadership qualities, he was able to take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Then we have the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, the Ark now resting in the tent that David has pitched for it. Then we have God's word to David and his posterity, the great message and the great oath from God that he will bring the Messiah through this line of David. And we have at the end David thanking God and recognizing God and glorifying God for what he has done. And so we, the rest of Old Testament is going to play that out. We're going to see how the prophets come. We see uh, oftentimes how the prophets come and substantiate this word that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so in chapter uh, 9, we now go to chapter 9 in your post. Chapter 9, 1 to 13. And I won't say very much about chapter 9 for the sake of time, but please read that very closely. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh Uh-oh, David does something very foolish. The famous, I hate to say it, infamous David and Bathsheba. Well, I think you probably know the story. If you don't know the story, it is fabulous. In the spring, at the time where kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And he saw this woman, and the rest is history. And it was a very bad deal. So he's got this huge problem because he sends, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And then he he, he continues his mendacity, his lying, his cheating, by having Uriah the Hittite get drunk and have a relationship with her so that they wouldn't know which, you know, it would, they wouldn't know it was David's child. That didn't work. And then he had no choice but to kill him. So he sent him to the front, and they pulled back, and he was killed. Obviously, one could argue that that was murder. Put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fierce. Fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will struck, be struck down and die. That's verse 15. So they did it. At the end of chapter 11, it says this interesting line, but the one, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. (laughs) 
That's, I would think, is an understatement. Nathan rebukes him in chapter 12. The famous chapter 12. This section is pretty unbelievable. Chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 12, uh, 5, 6, 7, 11, and 12. And David go, Nathan goes to him and tells him this story, this parable, this story that happened about these lambs. And, and um, he said, um, Thou art the man. Verse 7 of chapter 12. Thou art the man. This is what the Lord says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all that had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Why did you do this? Now, obviously, that has great ramifications for us. When we knowingly, willingly sin against God, who has been good to us, and we have despised the word of the Lord, why did you do this? Now, he... God sent a prophet, Nathan, to him to tell him. He said, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me, verse 10, and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. He said, you did this in secret. I'm going to do it in broad daylight. David then did something very smart that's great for all of us to remember. He says, I've sinned against the Lord, verse 13. Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because you've done this, you've made em enemies of the Lord, you, your son born to you will die. Now he prayed, read the rest of that chapter. He prayed, God did not have mercy. God did not save his child. The child died. David continued on. There are so many lessons in this section right here. It's just amazingly important. 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 14. I would continue to read on, yes, 15 to 31. Uh, he says, who knows? When he was praying, verse 22, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. And then, of course, they had Solomon, and then Solomon becomes king. And we'll talk more about Solomon later. Great chapters this week in the book of 2 Samuel. Read carefully, read slowly, enjoy. If you have notes, at the bottom of your Bible, you might find that to be very helpful. Let's run through Acts chapter 18. Chapter 18. Now, what we have here is we just have Paul on the move. Now, he's going to different places, as I've said to you before in previous uh, conversations with you. Different things are happening in different places that are written in the book of Acts. Sometimes Paul is preaching. Sometimes he's doing miracles. You just have to read it line by line as you're reading your Bible and reading through the daily lectionary readings that are assigned. And you will see what God is doing through each of these instances that Paul has. So, in chapter 18, 1 through 11, he's in Corinth. He's teaching the Word of God. Then in the second half, 12 to 28, which is on Tuesday, we have Apollos who I think might have written the book of Hebrews. Came to Ephesus, verse 24, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Extremely important person. The, the person that wrote Hebrews, I'm teaching Hebrews at the church I serve right now, uh, is an extraordinarily important and significant text. Is extraordinarily a learned person. Has a tremendous, tremendous biblical acumen. 
And so Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews, verse 28, in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So remember how I also said there are certain people that rise up in the book of Acts that are very powerful people like Titus and Timothy and Barnabas, Apollos, James, and we see their influence in the scriptures also and how they come along, uh, the leaders. Paul goes to Ephesus in chapter 19, Ephesians. He goes to Ephesus and we recount uh, his teaching. Some of the Jews went around driving out evil spirits, verse 13, trying to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, verse 14 of chapter 19, a, uh, a Jewish uh, chief priest was doing this, and the evil spirit, this is what the evil spirit said, this is amazing. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> so the evil spirit that they were trying to cast out, since they had no authority to do this, they just basically were doing it and using words, formulaic words. The evil spirit comes out, jumps on them. Very interesting story. There's a riot in Ephesus in the second half of chapter 19. Again, very, very important, very important what happens in Ephesus. Read on. So let's look at chapter 20, 1 through 16. He's going through Macedonia and Greece. And then you have a person raised from the dead. Eutychus is raised from the dead. Just like Jesus raised them from the dead. The, the, the disciples of Jesus and those who are following Christ are doing the same thing. And then we have Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And I'm going to pick up on this the next time when we look at proper 14. And I'll say more about that next time. But that'll take us through. So 18, 19, very interesting chapters. Uh, some miracles are happening uh, in the chapters. Some interesting stories are in there. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the message of Christ. And it's fun uh, and enlightening and theologically good to listen to what Paul has to say is, is these are real encounters and real events, much like 2 Samuel, just real encounters, real events, real people living out their lives, and here comes the gospel, or here comes the way they respond to things that are not positive, like David and Bathsheba, what's going to happen? And you see God in action in daily activity. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 8. And look at the scriptures we are to read for this week. Chapter 8, verses 11 to 21, which we find on Monday. We have uh, the feeding of the 4,000 at the beginning of chapter 8, which I spoke about last time. Then you have the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. This is, again, more teaching, more teaching regarding the Pharisees, more problems that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Uh, they do not have the word of the Lord with them, and they are to be taken very seriously and not listening to them, okay? And at the same time, you see at the end of uh, chapter um, 8, you see in, in verses uh, 19 and 20 and 21, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He said to him, do you not 
still understand. Do you not still understand? Verse 21. So Jesus is dealing with the problem with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. He's also dealing with his apostles and trying to educate them in the ways of the Lord. And then a third group of people are the people that he's ministering to that come to him. So he's, he's, he's working several levels in terms of discipleship, in terms of apologetics, in terms of the truth of the word of God. Then we have another miracle, the healing of a blind man at Bethsaida, where Jesus heals a person blind. This is a fantastic miracle of God. And then we have the confession of Christ around Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Great question for all of us today. Who do you say Jesus is? You are the Christ, Peter says. Then he began to teach them the Son of Man in verse 31 is going to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he's going to be killed, and after three days rise again. So he's, he told them that he's going to die, and the way he was going to die, and then he told them he was going to be raised again. So he gives that, he does that three separate times. Now, Peter, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him after saying that. And Jesus turned, looked at his disciples, rebuked Peter in front of them all. Out of my sight, Satan, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is very intense, intentional, and focused on what his father, God, wants him to do. And he, God, sends Jesus out to do God's will. So Jesus is very serious about us knowing what the will of God is for us, what God wants us to do, what Jesus wants us to do, and then focused on doing it and not get looking to the left or the right about it. Okay, he even calls his beloved disciple Peter, Satan, and he had just called him the Christ of God. He called the crowd to them, and you've heard this scripture many times, I'm sure. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Verse 35 of chapter 8. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good does it mean? I'm thinking of the King James. Uh, what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? The soul is val- limitless. It is, there's no value you can put on the soul. It is infinite value. So our eternal soul is of ultimate value to God. And your relationship with Christ has ultimate value, infinite value. Okay. Jesus teaches us this very well in this eighth chapter. Continuing on in chapter nine, we have the transfiguration where Jesus' clothes become dazzling white and Peter, James, and John are taken up to the mountain. Elijah and Moses show up. God speaks. Seventh verse, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him can't give it to you any more simple today. We've had lots of theological points that we've made, lots of learning points in 2 Samuel and Acts and in the gospel readings today, but if you want it really simple, listen to what Jesus says. He comes down from the mountain and heals the boy with an evil spirit. Jesus can do things that no one else can do. He casts out devils. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. He can heal a blind man, as we saw from Bethsaida. He can take on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
He dies for the sins of the world. He's just an extraordinary person. Extraordinary person. We're going through verse 41 today. Who is the greatest? They were talking about on the road. Here's Jesus' answer to be for the greatest. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. Verse 35. And the servant of all. So the greatest in the kingdom of God is the person that's last and then serving everybody. He took a little child. Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes me. Not, uh, does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Okay? Whoever, whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So he always includes his father as being very important. Well, it feels like there's a lot that we learned today in this time together. But we have all week to read the scriptures, reflect, pray, listen to God. I pray that he will bless you. And I hope you'll join us next time as we look into Proper 14. God bless your reading and God bless your week of prayer and reflection. See you next time.